Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And, Jim, let's begin with the good martini. We know that the President of the United States tipped off the entire nation and the world that ICE would begin its deportation proceedings in a number of different cities this past weekend. We didn't see a lot of it. We did see uh, protesters storming an ICE facility in Colorado, taking down the U.S. flag and putting up the Mexican flag. But uh, immigration and politics are obviously very, very hot right now, very passionate on both sides of the aisle. And the acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, a guy named Tom Homan, was testifying before the House last week and got into it with a number of different Democratic House members, including... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course. She uh, took aim at the family separation policy at the border. And let's just say Mr. Homan was having none of it. It's an extended excerpt. Take a listen. There were three different options presented. The third included the option for family separation. This initiative would pursue prosecution of all amenable adults, including those presenting with a family unit. Mr. Homan, your name is on this. Is this correct? Yes, I signed that memo. So you are the author of the family separation policy. I am not the author of this memo. You're not the author, but you signed the memo. Yes, a zero zero tolerance memo. So you provided the official recommendation to Secretary Nielsen on family for the United States to pursue family separation. I gave Secretary Nielsen numerous recommendations on how to secure the border and save lives. But it says here that you you gave her numerous options, but the recommendation was option three, family separation. What I'm saying, this is not the only paper where we've given the secretary numerous options to secure the border and save lives. And so the recommendation of the many that you recommended, you recommended family separation. I recommend a zero tolerance. Which includes family separation. The same as is whenever a U.S. citizen parent gets arrested with a child. Zero tolerance was interpreted as the policy that separated children from their If parents. I get arrested for DUI and I have a young child in a car, I'm going to be separated. When I was a police officer in New York and I arrested a father for domestic violence, I separated that Mr. father from Mr. Holman, with all due respect, legal asylees are not charged with any crime. When you're in the country illegally, it's violation 8 United States Code 1325. Seeking asylum is legal. If you want to seek asylum, you go through the port of entry, do it the legal way. The Attorney General of the United States has made that clear. Okay. Jim, I get the impression one person knows what they're talking about here and another person maybe not so much. Yeah, you know, one of the things that comes clear from that is if it hasn't become clear from the six or seven months she's been in Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has one tone. It is how dare you, sir, right? It, it is high dudgeon. It is this barely controlled outrage. You know, even when she's saying, how dare you separate someone, a parent from their child because you're taking them into custody? How dare you? Except as he accurately points out, that's what happens in every case. You know, well, it's okay if it's you're legally asylum. Yes, but at that point, we don't know if they're a legitimate claim for asylum or not. And that is at the heart of the problem of this issue. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a good chunk of the Democrats in the House and in the Senate don't really want to talk about this. We certainly didn't see much talk about this on the Democratic debates, uh, presidential debate stage. We know that there is such a thing as legitimate you know, asylum claims. Usually it is if I return to my home country, they're going to kill me. 
And it traditionally meant like a, a political prisoner, uh, someone who had criticized the government. It generally was not, you know, oh, by the way, I'm a, I'm a convicted axe murderer. They're going to kill me. You know, it usually was there was some sort of injustice and that if you were to return to your home country, your life was in danger. It never traditionally applied to I'm in a neighborhood with gangs where it's dangerous. It never traditionally applied to I'm in an abusive relationship back in Nicaragua or something like that. Those are very sad circumstances. Those are enormously tragic circumstances, but you don't get to become an American citizen just because your home country has bad circumstances. If that is the case, everybody in the whole wide world will attempt to enter illegally and claim asylum. We need a way to sort through the legitimate claims of asylum, which are probably going to be relatively rare, and all of the people who are coming over here. There are legal ports of entry. You can do this at U.S. embassies. You can do this at U.S. consulates. We have ways to do this. The fact that everyone is choosing not to do it this way strongly suggests to all of us they know they don't have a good case. They know their best odds are come across the border. If you get caught, claim asylum. Hope that they pick a date for your asylum that's well off. Hope that they release you and then disappear into American life never to return again. And this has been the game for a really long time, and Americans are fed up with it. But uh, it was a sort of moment that could really divide Democrats if things hadn't occurred in our bad martini of the day, Greg. Very nice segue, Jim. Yes, it was popcorn time, as we mentioned last week for the Democrats. You had Pelosi saying, stop tweeting about your disagreements with me. AOC took that as a swipe at women of color. You had Rahm Emanuel calling the chief of staff to AOC. What was it, a snot-nosed punk or something like that? Uh, Anyway, typical Rahm language. And so all Donald Trump had to do was sit back and do nothing. But of course he can't do that. Sunday morning come the tweets, quote, so interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it is done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements, unquote. And he's defended those tweets with other tweets uh, subsequently, uh, later yesterday and again, I think, this morning. So, uh, Jim, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. One is from the pure political standpoint of why are you intervening when your opponents are busy punching each other? And secondly, there's a a firm debate in the Twitter sphere right now whether Trump's just an idiot because the people he's talking about, other than Omar, were actually born in the United States, or he's actually trying to send some sort of white nationalist dog whistle. So, Jim, what do you make of all this? I think it's worth setting the stage of just how intense the Democratic infighting was getting. Uh, Netroots Nation, which is a big lefty blogger conference, was uh, this past weekend, and on Saturday... You, you know, look, the last couple of days, there's been this you know more heated fight going on between Pelosi and her allies and AOC and her allies, you know, perhaps you know, ridiculed as the squad or nicknamed as the squad. They're calling themselves Justice Democrats. I don't know if that's supposed to be like the Justice League, Greg, or what it is. But uh, <laughs> Alana Presley is there speaking at Netroots Nation, and she says, we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need Muslims that don't want to be a Muslim voice. We don't need queers that don't want to be a queer voice. By the way, um, Greg, so so using the word queer is okay now, I guess? Apparently. But the implication from this is that among the people who've been criticizing AOC are the Congressional Black Caucus. So the argument from Ayanna Presley is that the Congressional Black Caucus are black faces that don't want to be a black voice. (laughs) 
Good luck with that argument. The flip side of this is that Gregory Meeks, an African-American Democratic politician from New York, started talking up the possibility of trying to recruit a primary challenger to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? Maureen Dowd's column, she tears into him and says, look, Maureen Dowd belatedly observes something that everybody else has noticed a long time ago, which is that, quote, the progressives act as though anyone who dares disagree with them is bad. Not wrong, but bad. Guilty of some human failing, some impurity. There's a moral evil that justifies their venom. Everybody could see this is what the hard left was turning into. And, you know, at this exact moment, it's really starting to do damage. You know, this is getting nasty. This is the moment where if you're on the right, just pop the popcorn, right? And, you know, the old saying of Napoleon Bonaparte, when your enemy is destroying yourself, don't interfere. And, of course, Trump has to do it. I know there's been like a little debate about what he meant by this. Look, there's no two ways about it. He begins this multi-tweet process by saying, so interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries, meaning he's not talking about Detroit, he's not talking about the Bronx or New York City. And as we said, the only place that this applies to is Omar, who left her country when she was six, lived in Kenya for four years and came to the United States when she was 10. The entire crux of the Trump argument is go back to your home countries and fix them before you fix ours. They're not from other countries, except in the case of Omar. And Omar's been in the United States and she was 10, right? So it, it, look, the way I see it, I see a very sub, clear subtext here of these people aren't really American. Now, Greg, people who listen to our podcast know we have a mountain of complaints about these progressive congresswomen, but it's all policy-based, right? I don't care uh, if someone comes from another country. If they're a legal immigrant, they're a legal immigrant. They have every bit as much right to say, speak their mind about this country as anybody else. They have every bit as much right to uh, be represented to Congress. You know, they represent extremely far left, heavily Democratic districts, except in the case of, by the way, of Rashida Tlaib, who actually is not overwhelmingly Democratic. And maybe you'll see somebody challenge her in, a, in the upcoming primary. But anyway, Trump manages to step in this in the worst possible way. And he's, he didn't need to. And people are saying, oh, what he really meant was America, love it or leave it, Jim. Well, if he wanted to say that, he could have said that. He did not. He made the point about their home countries. I mean, I have a very hard time interpreting his remarks in a more generous uh, format. We'll see how this goes. I know there's some argument that says, oh, well, this is going to get all the Democrats to rally around AOC and the others, and this will work to his benefit in the long run. Look, I've been hearing that, you know, Trump is playing nine-level chess for the entirety of his presidency. And, that, oh, don't you, you, don't you worry, Jim, the midterms are going to go fine. Well, the Senate went well. The House did not go well. They lost a bunch of governor's races. They lost, you know, at some point... We need to acknowledge that Trump has zero impulse control, that he just tweets out whatever pops into his head whenever he wants to, and it's not always going to work well. It's not all part of a strategy. It's not all part of some brilliant plan that we're going to see this for. And you know, and look, if you look at the 2018 midterms, what shifted was the suburbs shifted. The suburbs are full of soccer moms. The soccer moms who might have real beefs with what AOC and Ilhan Omar and all those other folks want to do in terms of policy. But they're not going to stick by him if you keep saying, well, the problem is they're from another country, particularly since three of the four are not from another country. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, there was this like really gleeful tone midday Saturday on Twitter where it was like, wow, I didn't see the twist where Nancy Pelosi was a white supremacist. <laughs> you know, like, like, and also, by the way, like watching Democrats get offended by this, you really do want to say, well, look, look, this is what if you're conservative have to see every other day. You know, you, you get accused of being racist and having evil motives just because you disagree with these people on policy. And I really feel like we're reaching the point where Democrats were start. You, you discussed this on, on Thursday, and I talked about it in Friday's Morning Jolt. They're almost to the point where they can kind of see the downside of identity politics. They're starting to see that, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, wait a minute. This kind of knee-jerk accusation can be used against us, too. 
And then, of course, Trump has to jump in and he has to unify all the Democrats against him. Yeah, the writers of 2019 were having some nice plot twists there. And then they just went back to an old crutch and it just uh, isn't, there you go. isn't working. Yes. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, we need some levity here in this uh, particular podcast. So let's go to Fox News. An author and expert on Area 51 said the U.S. military will never let civilians anywhere near the top secret site after the Storm Area 51 movement went viral on Facebook. One million Facebook users have now responded that they would go to a Facebook event scheduled for September 20th at 3 a.m. with the creator writing, they can't stop all of us. Quote, and Jim, tell me if I'm mispronouncing this because I'm not a Japanese anime person. If we, <laughs> if we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets, the event description said, referencing a Japanese comic character known for his speed. Let's see them aliens. The social media campaign made national headlines as it grew last week, forcing the Air Force, which runs the installation, to respond and caution UFO enthusiasts against traveling to the area. Quote, Area 51 is an open training range for the U.S. Air Force, and we would discourage anyone from trying to come into the area where we train American armed forces. The U.S. Air Force always stands ready to protect America and its assets, spokeswoman Laura McAndrews told the Washington Post. Author Annie Jacobson, who wrote a book on Area 51, dismissed the idea that civilians could even get close to the facility. So, uh, Jim, it would be kind of comical to watch them try. Obviously, it could get pretty dangerous if they kept going. But uh, if they actually did breach the, the place, you could see, you know, Brent Spiner from Independence Day uh, or, or, ordering the troops to, to mow folks down and stuff. Uh, this could get this could get uh, very, very cinematic very quickly. Yeah, Greg, I don't know how to deal with the fact that you think that I know how to pronounce terms from anime. <laughs> <laughs> a little insulted there. I guess it's Naruto. I don't know. Either. But so first of all, let me tell you, all you fans out there, no, you're not faster than a bullet. <laughs> I, th- this really should be self-evident. Um, I, I don't know how many slow bullets you've been watching. Maybe in like the Matrix when they did bullet time, remember, and he's dodging. Maybe they think that's actually how bullets work. But no, that's not actually how they work. Um, now, way back when, you know, when the internet was young, and so was I, I do remember, you know, looking around at sites and there were people who would like go to like the edge of the Area 51 property and sometimes they would see security cameras and eventually they'd hear a helicopter or something or somebody would, you know, they'd see a car, a truck coming in the distance and they would, you know, try to get away from it. I understand there's enormous amounts of curiosity about what's going on at Area 51. I think it's Groom Lake and things like that. The most likely scenario, barring aliens that they actually recovered from Roswell or something like that, is that this is where the Air Force tests out the new planes. And that's why you might see strange lights in the sky or aircraft that appears to be doing things that seem impossible. I believe that's where they developed a stealth fighter, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's, it's possible something really cool is going on there. But no, you know, the idea that, well, if there's a lot of us, they can't shoot all of us. I don't know. Have you counted the bullets in Area 51? I'm betting they can't. You know, I'm also pretty sure the guys they have hiring, they have, they have you know, working the, the post and, and doing the, the guards duty probably are pretty good shots. And your your hope, best hope in that, oh, let's get a whole bunch of us together, is that they kill the people next to you. But at some point, let's say you get onto the base. Let's say it works that, you know, thousands of people to the left of you, thousands of people to the right of you have been shot, but you've gotten to the base. Do you think they just leave the doors open? <laughs> I mean, I, I remember in the, the alleged Indiana Jones movie, I know this is controversial. I know some people insist this is from a different timeline. And then, in fact, there are only three Indiana Jones movies in this timeline. There's this crazy rumor that there was this movie called Indiana Jones, The Crystal Skull. But if you accept that theory, 
and that there that there was that takes place in Area Fifty One, and that that's the warehouse where they left the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff. Um, that did seem strangely underguarded, but I just put that up to Spielberg and Lucas getting tired and lazy in their old, in their old age. The, I, my guess is that in addition to let's say you get over the fence, you get through. It's like by the way, the fence is like way out from where actually all the buildings are and the airfield and all that kind of stuff. So you got to run. I hope you've been to marathons because you got to run a long, long distance. Then you get there, and I guess the plan is that they'll just leave the doors unlocked. Greg, is that the plan? <laughs> I'm assuming, look, I watch a lot of spy thrillers. You know, you mentioned Between Two Scorpions. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's at least a key card, if not <laughs> fingerprint scanning, if not retinal scanning, if not all kinds of security doodads and stuff like that. But here's, look, I hate to break people's hearts. And, and you know, I know there are a lot of people who ask the question, is there, is there someone out there? Is there something out there? Has our government ever encountered something? There were some interesting reports that the Air Force is indeed still continuing to track reports of literal unidentified flying objects, meaning flying objects that they have not identified, not saying that these are little green men in flying saucers. But here's the thing. Greg, you know how we know that there are no secret, you know, alien bodies and that there is no alien, you know, crash flying saucer from Roswell and that there is no deep, dark secret that the government has been hiding for decades and decades? What's that? Well, if there was, wouldn't Trump have tweeted about it by now? <laughs> You are not going to believe what the Joint Chiefs had me see out in Nevada. Oh, my God. They are amazing. We are going to build casinos on Alpha Centauri. The Greys are terrific. They're great guys. I know how to – we have to give them, like, half of our children. But and even then, it's still going to work out. Independence Day with Trump would be a fascinating movie. Can you imagine his speech, the uh, the Bill Pullman speech, and it just, it just go off the rails and talk about how great unemployment is? They <laughs> knock down. Look, unemployment is down to zero because everybody is working to stay alive. <laughs> they knock down Trump Tower. We are going to get them back for that. Jim, good to be with you, even on a Monday. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Oh, thank goodness this week is almost over, Greg. Yes, yes, hopefully. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. As you mentioned, the book is Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.